Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Look at all these moon pie wrappers. You two are such gluttons. This fills me with so much wrath. What? Eric Lang is on the show? Now I'm envious. That's right, on this episode of RDTN, game designer Eric Lane discusses his new game, The Other's Seven Sins. Plus, the guys give first impressions of On Her Majesty's Service and Rum and Bones. This is no time to be slothful, y'all. Hey, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. I'm Tony. And this is Marty. And we are a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and this is episode number 76, Cold as Ice. And let me tell you, people, this is going to be a Big show. I'm not talking small, little, minute show. One of the ones where Marty and I just ramble. This is huge. I can't do the Jimmy Fallon huge Donald Trump thing, Marty, but that was my best shot at it. But why is it going to be huge? Because you are able to secure for us another contest. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, and they're like, oh, it's just another contest. No, that's not it. We are excited to have the designer, Eric Lang, on our show tonight to come on and talk about his latest game, The Others, which is currently on Kickstarter from Cool Men You're Not Games. Hence the title. We got somebody coming in from the Upper North. We got Cool Many. Ah, uh, see, Marty, Marty. I think you still should have gone with LRB's Cool Change. No, I like, see, I just heard foreigners cold as ice. And, you know, that- yeah, but see, it's, it's the, the fall's coming, so we're getting ready for a cool change. It's cool many or not. Eric's from Canada, cool. I understand, but the, when the others come, when the elders come, there will be a cold that grips your soul as they begin to devour you. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. Okay, I'm trying to do my best. but So we're not going to goof off here and, and ramble we're on. We're not? No, not us. No, never. Uh, okay. Hey, you know what? Let's talk about the big news that happened last week, because this is right in our wheelhouse. Wait, what? There was news? Yes, there was news. So two episodes ago, remember, we did the big old talk about uh, card games and LCGs like Ashes and Versus. So last week... AEG sold the Legend of the Five Rings IP to Fantasy Flight, who in 2017 is going to re-release that CCG as an LCG. When we were first discussing this, I'm like, why is this big news? A, A company bought another company. Companies do, or licenses all the time. So? So, so the... But but AEG's bread and butter. They're bread and butter for the past 25 years, 20, 20, 20 years has been Legend of the Five Rings. I mean, this is a big deal. I mean, they have RPGs. They have the card games. I mean, that that's kind of their... I mean, that's what they're known for. Yeah, but in their press release, they stated that they have come to differences now. Uh, in uh, irre, What is it? Irreconcilable differences. And so there you go. I mean, maybe... maybe they Irreconcilable s- differences with who? With maybe AEG and L5R, just, they just, they've gone different ways. They've, they've seen that they've made this relationship grow as far as they can, and they need to expand their horizons. They, AEG needs to go their way. L5R needs to go their way. L5R is their thing. It's not like they're a separate thing going their way. I mean, from what I got from it was, is they're going to focus more... On the board games, I mean, obviously they're big into, um, you know, like Smash Up Now and and Love Letter. But here's the thing. They still have Doomtown. Right. And 
that kind of threw me for a loop too. You, you've got Doomtown that, not that this is an indication of how the game's going. It's constantly on sale at all stores, but that's beside the point. I agree with you. That made no sense to me. Here's your, your like you said, your bread and butter. This is what, what brought you home and, and they're getting rid of it. Maybe, maybe that was it. FFG gave them an offer that they can't refuse. Well, maybe, may but I guess I was surprised that AEG didn't take the same tactic that FFG is going to do. So they have Doomtown, which is like an mm-hmm. LCG type game without being able to call it that. Why couldn't they do that with Legend of the Five Rings? I don't know. Like I said, maybe they just had to break their ties. But I will say one of the good things for you and I, Marty, here, here's another opportunity for you and I to probably finally learn that game. <laughs> yeah, one reason why I want to bring it up is because uh, Tony and I, several years ago, were very interested in the game. We knew some players that were playing it. I liked the theme of it. And so we went out and bought, uh, was it a box or a starter? There was, there was a starter box or something that mm-hmm. we bought and, and tried to learn how to play the game. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table, look, <laughs> struggling going through that rule book, trying to figure out how this game worked, because it's got a little bit of a learning curve to it. A little bit. It's a it's a freaking ellipse. Is that the math thing where it goes straight up epsilon or something like that? I mean, it, oh man, that you're an engineer. Oh, a long time ago. Now I'm just now I just <laughs> manage people. It was. You're right. It took us for we we didn't even play it. What do you mean I'm challenging someone? How do you win this game? And somebody even told us if you've never played the game, you need someone who knows how to play it to teach you. That's the only way to run learn this game. Yeah, and actually, we did find people that were going to teach us, but here we go. We're already telling people, well, that's awesome that you got this, but you know what? You really need this, 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 and this, and you and I were like, whoa. We kind of swore off CCGs, so this sounds like a great game, but it's not something we're going to dump a lot of money into. So we kind of never looked back and said, well, I guess that's just one that we've missed, but to be honest with you... In two years when it comes out, I kind of will be interested in getting it and finally seeing how it plays because uh, now with with it being an LCG, it won't require as much money. And I must say, Tony, you've done a good job avoiding the past two. You didn't get into Conquest. Nope. You're not doing Game of Thrones. I'm not doing Game of Thrones. So maybe two years from now, we'll be ready to try another new one. We might. And that's what I was just thinking. Maybe it will come in play because I was going to ask you, will that be enough time for you to swear off conquest in order to pick up a new one and have another box of cards sitting in your closet just waiting to be played and they're they're lonely? Well, here's the thing. I'm not hard and heavy into Conquest, to be honest with you. Once the, uh, the Devourers expansion comes out with the uh, Tyranids, I'm probably going to not buy them as often anymore. Okay. Cause I have a good, I have a good set to play with. And at our local store, we do have a tournament once a month and they have three or four people, four or five people show up. So I've got enough to play with. Um, so I don't think that's not going to be, it's a uh, conquest is not going to be an, a net runner for me. And then with the games that's coming out like ashes, which we talked about, the cards don't come out as frequent. So, you know, that won't be a problem with them either. Yeah. And I, I mean, Ashes, I look forward to that one. I know mine will be here next month when I'm like everybody else who's got the pre-order in. We'll finally get it delivered. And, you know, I miss, I do miss my Netrunner. I do miss, I was thinking about this the other day, Marty. What was it, the asymmetrical play and all that, but what was the other thing that I enjoyed most about Netrunner was the unknown side of it. You know, what was behind those servers? I I think about all the other card games. The, the, The bluffing. Yeah, the bluffing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I was thinking about that, you know, in all the games we've played up after that, it's like, where, where was the bluffing? It was that unknown, you know, what was he doing? That, that kind of still, I enjoy that. So L5R is not going to give that for me. I don't know. We never learned how to play it right to know what it's going to give us. That's true. We didn't, did we? So we got no clue how this game's played. So maybe it will give it to me. I don't know. Who knows? I'm also curious to see if they're going to run with the RPG format, because I don't know if you know, but AEG had this thing going to where uh, what happened in the, the tournament with the Legend of the Five Rings would affect the RPG and what happened in the RPG would somehow affect the card game. So they were somehow interlocked, which I always thought was cool. That is that is pretty neat. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here. Didn't AEG also do another favorite of ours, Spycraft? They did. Okay. They did. And, you know, I've always hoped that somehow that would be one that would get resurrected but it seems like i remember talking to somebody about that somewhere and the chances of that were supposedly were pretty slim and some people said that game was really broken we didn't understand it or play it enough (laughs) to to understand why it was broken but we did enjoy it and with with the two other people that we played with and we we didn't do tournaments or anything like that was just local play but that is a game that we we really enjoyed and you know what it was a unique theme i mean a spy theme who nobody else is doing that Right. And maybe by 2017 with L5R, bring us back on track here. Maybe FFG will give us a base set so I don't have to buy three of them. No. You think they're going to change their ways into, ain't no way. I see. Now you're just making me mad. Hey, a a man can drink. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know. I know I'm making you mad and and bringing you back. But, you know, who knows? We never do know. Maybe they will hear of the pleas. Maybe they listen to the show and maybe it will go forth and, and we'll get that, you know, grassroots movement moving here and we can get a complete box set. That'd be so awesome. Well, maybe, maybe uh, if they, if uh, other games like Ashes and even the Doom Towns and Versus, um, because, you know, all this come out, one base set is really all you need and you kind of get everything you need. Mm-hmm. Maybe if there's another enough pushback from that where they see like, you know, wow, these other companies are doing it. Maybe we should do it. Nah, they won't. Nah, they're not going to do it. So uh, that, That's a pipe dream. Yeah. So anyway, so some big news. I thought that was something that obviously you and I would be interested in coming two years from now. And uh, like I said, it's just kind of a big deal because that was AEG's kind of main thing. And, and we'll see where they go. So from what I understand is they got like another expansion they're going to finish out and just kind of let it sunset at that point. Of course, if I was a big L5R player, I don't know. I guess it's like uh, yeah, I guess it's like the, the latest Game of Thrones players, the first edition. Right. You know, I guess they have every right to be upset because their cards don't work anymore. I guess the same with L5R. But it seems like we, I do know a few local L5R players, and they seem pretty excited about it in general. I think they're they trust what FFG has, has shown they can do with LCGs, and I think they're excited what they're going to do with this IP. I'm looking forward to it. So just remind me in 2017, let's put it in the notes and we'll come back and talk about it in our anniversary edition of year four. How's that? <laughs> that, that sounds good. So before we get to our guests, I do want to mention a couple of the games that I got to play. And it all kind of fits together because, like I said, Eric's going to be coming on talking about the others, which is a game from Cool Mini or Not. Well, I got to play two new uh, Cool Mini Not games, Tony, and I was going to give kind of a first impression of each one of them, not a full review because I want to play it some more and I want you to play it, but just kind of give it a little overview of them. All right. That sounds good. So so what's number one? What, what game grabbed your attention this past week? 
We got to play, when we, I mean my family, my family played both of these. The first one was The World of Smog, colon, On Her Majesty's Service. Now, what I need to do is put a sh- show note in here for the next time we do Flying Squirrels, a rant for putting really long names that have like a colons in them, because The World of Smog, colon, On Her Majesty's Service is a ridiculous name for a board game. That's not going to show up in the title of this podcast. I'm going to tell you that much right now, because it'll break it all up. Mm. <laughs> I know, yeah. It'll be way too long for it to show up. So anyway, so what is this? So it is a, when first impressions, when I saw it, I thought, ooh, this is kind of looks like a, a Euro game. It has uh, dials on it that turn kind of like Zulkin, but they're not interlocked like uh, Gears. The box is gorgeous. It has this foil stamp on top. The, the gold stamp is a steampunk type game. And the art looks great. And Vanessa was all into it when we got it. She's like, oh, I can't wait to play this game. We played it that night. And the whole gist is, it is a steampunk-themed game, and it takes place during the late 1800s. And Queen Victoria has asked a group of gentlemen to go into the, I believe it's the shadow market, the secret market, in order to buy some, to collect some ether and some artifacts to bring back into the queen. So that's kind of the theme that it is. And the gentleman consists, this is a two-to-four-player game, and the gentleman consists of... Uh, a couple of Victorian-looking guys, a Victorian lady, and a, a fox. I'm not sure why there's a fox. But anyway, there's a nice little... It's being cool, many or not, there is nice little sculpts for each one of the gentlemen that you're playing as. Okay, so wait a minute. The Queen Mother mm-hmm. needs ether? Yes. She's looking for ether and artifacts, like keys. Like a mithril key is one of them, some sort of lockbox. So it's all this stuff that's out in the, the ether world, in, in another world. And these uh, people are going out to try to get it for. Okay. Well, I'm going to trust you on this one because I got to say, why does the queen need this? But she needs it. Let's just say she needs it for her flying machines. She something. needs it. Okay. Look, look, okay. It's a, it's a weekly pasted on theme. Okay. So we'll just go. She needs it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but what, what's cool is uh, there's four different types of ethers. And uh, while everybody needs to get each of the one of the artifacts to bring out, everybody's dealt a card that shows which four types of ethers they need to bring out. It could be two of one, two of another, one of four different ones, whatever. It's a different combination, so you're not exactly sure what everybody's going for. Here's the unique aspect of the game. The the game board consists of nine dials uh, in the center that, that rotate, and that's where you can purchase your ether from. You're supposed to sit one on each side of the board. Each player is supposed to be on one on each side of the board. And there's four numbers on the dial. So when you're looking at the board, uh, there's a number on each of the dial that's closest to you, and it's one through four. The purpose of those is that's how much you can buy and sell ether for if your figure is on that dial. So say, for example, I'm on a dial with red ether and there's a two facing me. That means I can buy ether for two or sell it for two. And once you do, you put a token on top of that two and then rotate that dial 90 degrees. And so everybody's dealing with this on their turn. So everybody's turning dials and buying things. And depending on how it's facing you is what you're going to do to buy and sell stuff in order to have enough money to go and buy the artifacts that you need or have enough money to buy the other ether that you need. And on your turn, you just take different actions. You can move between dials. You can rotate the dials. You can remove those beads off of those spots so that you can uh, activate those numbers again. If you're in the center, you can uh, pick up a card of your choice. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's some cards, like action cards, that allow you to do certain things. So on your turn, you get like three actions. 
uh, to do any of those things. And so the whole goal of the game is to move around the board and collect all those things. Okay. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I, I mean, it sounds like it's a race to get out of the dungeon first or wherever by collecting your stuff. And, and part of that action is to manipulate the board. So it's fairly easy for you to collect these things while your other combatants are having an issue with it, right? While you're, while you're messing up there, you're foiling their plans, correct? Exactly. Which has happened. Like I was making my way over to this one dial and it was only going to cost me one resource in order to buy a key. Well, what happened is somebody on the other side of the table went to the same dial and bought it. And then when you buy it, like I said, you turn it 90 degrees. Well, now the four is facing me. So now it would cost me four resources in order to get that key. So I on my turn, I could spend two actions to rotate it twice and make it only cost two, but I didn't get it for the one that I really wanted to buy it for. So the, the market's constantly changing, which is a really unique mechanic. I really like that. The only thing that kind of bothered me was, you remember when I said you stood in the center and you could pick up an action card and play those cards anytime? Yeah. Some of those were pretty benign. Like it's just like, give me two resources. Or you allow you to uh, rotate two dials 90 degrees if you want to, to change the orientation of, of them. One of them was still an artifact from somebody else. And, and, and what? Let me guess. Just grab it. There was no way. There was nothing to force you to give up something. The only thing, each of those cards require you to have a certain number, a certain type of ether. As long as you have that in your supply, you can do these cards. It doesn't cost it. It just says you need one green and one blue in order to activate this okay. card. And so here I was, I had like, like two or three artifacts. Brett pulls out this card and says, yeah, I'm going to steal that from you. I'm like, excuse me. Mm -hmm. I said, look, give me that card. It's like, okay, he just took it from me. That piece was across the board. So I had to work my way across the board to get to it. Meanwhile, he's got an extra piece that he didn't even have to pay for. That kind of bothered me. But the really weird one was the next time when Brett played a card that said, rotate the board 90 degrees. I went, I went, you, you got to be reading that wrong. Because I thought it must be a dial 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. No, Tony, it was the whole board. We had to physically take the board on the table and rotate it 90 degrees. And then what happens then, obviously the numbers that were facing you before are now totally different numbers. And you're talking about really messing you up. It messed up everybody. And to that point, I mean, I, I, when, you, when you're telling me this, I'm like, that's kind of a cute little niche thing to do is to, to rotate the board and as long as the pieces stay on the board. But of course, you didn't have to physically rotate the board. Everybody could have gotten up and changed chairs as well. You could have, but here's the thing. There's player mats in front of you that you use to track oh. your resources and everything. So it, it would it actually was easier to, to rotate the board. Um, another thing that's really cool, too, is while you're in the secret market or the shadow market, you have these agents that come onto the board and affect the different dials. Like maybe one of the dials has the merchant agent, which means while he's on there, you can buy stuff for one less than normal and sell it for one more. Hey, that's great. Another one is if you start your turn where this agent is, you want ha you have one less action per turn. So these agents can move, and but they can positive, positively or negatively affect you. And then how they move is there's a person who's considered the first player who has the shadow master. If you have the shadow master token, you're the first player, you get one extra turn on your turn and you could move those agents around not a formal review and you weren't going to go into a lot of detail on it but overall something i need to play here's the thing i looked at the game and thought "Ooh, a nice medium market 
economy type euro. It, it's not. It's more of a light because it can be somewhat chaotic with those cards. Mm-hmm. That can really affect the board. And it's hard to set up a long-term strategy with four players. It's not like on my turn, it's like, okay, next turn, I'm going to move over here and get that for two. By the time it goes around three other people, there's a good chance those those dials will have rotated. So you can't do long-term strategy. It's really, you got to wait till your turn before you decide what you're going to do because the board changes so much. With less players, it'd be less chaotic. It really is a reactionary type game. It is. And Vanessa really loved it. She liked it a lot and she's ready to play it again. So I need to go in and play it again. Now realizing, okay, I now know what to expect with the game and I may like it better. So yes, I do think you should try it. Let's play it. And then we'll review it formally in the future. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. Now I know that that's not the only one you got to play. What else did you get to play? Rum and Bones, which is a MOBA inspired type board game. Now, do you know what a MOBA is? A MOBA. Um, is that a motherboard? That's a MOBO. MOBO. Oh, Okay. <laughs> um, MOBA is a multi-online uh, battle, uh, multiplayer online battle arena. In other words, it's like a League of Legends type game okay. or Dota type game. And it's supposed to mimic those types of games. Here it is. It's a pirate themed game. And you're on, you have a faction that you're controlling and you have a ship and the board is actually your ship and somebody else has a ship and the ships and the boards are right beside each other. So the ships are right connected to each other. And there's three gangplanks that connect the two ships. What happens is, as you control heroes, you have uh, five heroes that you draft at the beginning of the game or, or you take your faction heroes and you put... Uh, if you're playing a two put one versus one game, you have three heroes on the board and they all do different things. But you have also these minions that are on the board that every time, every turn, minions come out on the board and basically they walk in a straight line. They start on, on your side of the ship and they're going to walk directly across the plank to the other side of the ship and attack everything along the way. Likewise, your opponent has their little minions walking towards you doing the same thing. So those guys are just automated. During their turn, they spawn, they move, they fight. And fight's done by combat roles. The whole goal of the game is, is to capture objectives. These There's uh, objective tiles on, on either boat, and each are worth two points apiece, and they have a health to them. You have to go over to the other side of the ship and attack those objectives in order to get them and score points. If there's minions on them or heroes on them, they must first be destroyed before you can capture those objectives. And that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Okay, this sounds almost like a two-player tower defense game where they're both sending their players in to just basically wipe each other out. Is that it? Kinda, except you can't control how the um, minions, and I'm going to use the term, MOBA term, creeps because here's the deal i play with my two sons who are huge dota 2 fans and they were really into this game because they said it does feel kind of moba ish so they're using the terms like creeps and blah 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 but what is cool it's very thematic because it's really neat because uh on, on your turn you can take uh, uh three actions you can move one of them is called rigging you can actually try to grab a rope and swing across to the other ship and you roll a die depending on the number of spaces you want to swing across. And as long as you roll a number higher than that on the die, you succeed. Otherwise you fall overboard 
and go into the water and you have to go back to the beginning again, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. And then each of the uh, uh, each of the uh, um, heroes have a special. Oh, the other thing they can do is attack. And each of the heroes have special things. There's a ranged guy. There's a one who gets better as he takes more damage, and and they have health points. And again, it's it's rolling dice, and it'll tell you on the card. It's like four is a higher hit, and you get to roll this many dice, and you just deal damage to the minions. Only have one health, and all the heroes have have multiple health. So. Thematically, it's really cool if you could play these what they call tide cards, which are like action cards, which like give you special abilities. And if they have the Kraken icon on them, you leave them on the table. And at the end of each round, you roll two dice. Mm-hmm. And if the, the roll, the number on the die is higher than the total number of Kraken symbols, you're good. Otherwise, the Kraken appears. And this huge tile appears right in between the two ships, replacing the middle plank. And the Kraken is attacking the boat. And you have to attack the Kraken. If you beat it, you get two objective points. And when the Kraken appears, are there two golf announcers that suddenly appear? <laughs> you mean like the commercial, the Geico, the Geico yeah. commercial? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really good. Um, here's the thing. Uh, gorgeous minis. Again, cool mini not, so the production level is... But it is really cool to see all these little miniatures on the board going across, fighting each other. Thematically, it does feel like you're on two ships attacking each other. My youngest son loves it. He is wanting to play all the time. They're coming out with new factions. One of the factions actually has two boats. And there's one boat on one side of your boat and the other on the other. So there's two ships. So there's three ships in total. And so uh, this one boat's being attacked from both sides. Uh, you can uh, get mercenaries as expansions and you can draft those instead of using your five faction heroes. You can incorporate other heroes from mercenaries that do different abilities. Then you can kind of synergize the abilities together. It's easy to learn. It plays fast. I really like to play it with you sometime and see what you think. Okay, Sounds good. Now, this is what's so sad you said dota 2 so i'm you know listening okay i phased out for a little bit but that's because i'm looking at it can't be really called d-o-t-a it's got to stand for something i've never heard of this i don't have sons that want to play this stuff i'm not playing this i'm like what the heck is a dota i thought you were being it's actually called dota dota is defense of the agents uh, this MOBA-style game is a little bit of video game history. Squirrel! Uh, actually came from a Warcraft 3 mod. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was it was a mod that was made. And the whole purpose is you're controlling a hero trying to catch another team's objectives. So it's an arena-style game, and you attack each other. Okay. And and after that, there was a... It was called Defense of the Agents. Was the, uh, Defense of the Agents was the name of the mod. And then other style games came out after it, like League of Legends. And a couple years ago or last year, I can't remember how old it is, Dota 2 came out from Valve. So those are kind of the two biggest games right now. And and my boys play every single day, about an hour or so each, because that's how long it takes to play a game. And they are addicted to it. Really? And I'm sure it's got microtransactions. Um, it can. Uh, you can buy different heroes. Okay. Uh, but they have. If you play enough, you'll unlock them. Okay. Oh, oh, here's another one. Have you heard of Blizzard's um, Heart of the Storm? That's their MOBA game that they just introduced this year. Oh, well, that's interesting. I may have to go look this stuff up. You know me. I, I don't ever play video games anymore so maybe this will get me in other than sending somebody an invite in star realms that timed out because he never accepted it but i'm not naming names i hadn't turned on star realms in forever well obviously i know you're too do you have you turned on narashima hex 
Do you have an invite out there for me for that too? No, I've never paid because I figured you'd lose the interest and move oh. on to the other <laughs> shiny little. Mm. No, I, no, New Shimmer Hex. In fact, we played last week. Uh, we got to play the new Mississippi faction, which is really cool. Okay. Well, maybe I will buy that, but I figured that little shiny nut has left your eyesight <laughs> and there was no, no reason for me to drop another two ninety nine. unlike where our buddy Dan Patrice is every day he and I are at playing Ascension. It's the man is relentless, and he beats me relentlessly. But that's okay; I don't mind it. Uh, I no, I I actually would prefer to play Nirishima Hex over Star Realms at this point. All right, well then maybe I will invest yeah. in that and find ten dollars for an uh, Apple um, gift card. Speaking of which, before I forget, you mentioned Dan Patrice. Uh, you know he's running that uh, charity, mm-hmm. uh, Gamers Gamers for Cures. Yeah. Everybody, please go out there and check his site. This is a great charity event that he runs every year, and he has some fabulous prizes, and uh, it's going to a great cause. And uh, Tony, if we could put a maybe a link in the in the blog post for Gamers for Cures, I know he would appreciate uh, people going to check it out and support his charity however they can. Consider it done. And I hate once again. I mean they're doing their big 24-hour marathon the week the first weekend in November and mm-hmm. you and I would love to get up there but it's like if we did that then Mace and then BGG Con basically you and I would be back in an apartment together probably mm. yeah just just saying man you know we may be kicked out of our own house but anyway so um is Eric here yet? I believe he is. I believe he flew in and boy are his arms tired. Oh. <laughs> Okay, but what, maybe he's being held up by customs. Is there anything we can do while, he, while we wait for him to get through that? Uh, you know what? There just might be. Well, Marty, you know, over here in America, Gen Con is our big show, and everybody gets all giddy for it. But across the pond, they're getting ready for Essen. And our buddy Ignacio over at Portal Games is wanting us to remind everyone that if you're heading to Essen, be sure to get in those pre-orders for some of his games that are coming out at this time. Uh, yes, definitely. He's got some great games coming out. The new Convoy, Tony, uh, that's going to be our one of our new lunch games. I'm going to put that on the list for us because I think that would be fun. It looks awesome. Looks looks incredible. It does. And the, uh, the expansion for his uh, Legacy game that's out. And he's you know over there. You're gonna have a rattle battle that's gonna be there. Tides of time, which is great. So he's got a lot of great stuff coming out this year, and he has these pre-order packages, these bundles that you can order and get when you go to Essen. Just go right to his booth and pick them up. So if you're lucky enough to be across the pond listening to us, and you're heading to Essen, be sure to do that pre-order because it is the way to go at the show with um, Portal Games. You don't have to stand in line. You don't have to rush the door. Matter of fact, you can go. Rush the door for something else because you know at Portal Games they've got your stuff waiting. Okay, if you've ever played Chaos in the Old World, or Game of Thrones the card game, or Warhammer Invasion, or Call of Cthulhu the core game, Star Wars the card game, Quarriers, Dice Masters, Arcadia Quest, XCOM, or maybe the upcoming Blood Rage, then you're going to enjoy our next guest from the country that brought us Nathan Fillion, Rodney Smith, and even Justin Bieber, one of the most prolific game designers of the day, Eric M. Lang. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Hey, how are you doing, Marty? Oh, we're doing great. I was so happy to have you on the show. This is so exciting. Me too. Tony can't even talk. He's speechless. I'm just in awe. I'm sitting there checking off all the games you listed and said, he's on the show, man. This is all... 
I'm just let me just sit back and enjoy the moment, Marty. You've 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 prepared for this. You you met him down. I mean, you got to you got to at Cool Mini or not at their convention, Eric wanted to decimate you in this game that's fixing to come out that is having an incredible success on Kickstarter. Yeah, there's a whole story behind the decimation that never really happened, but you know, we'll get to that in a little bit. Oh, Eric doesn't even want to talk about that. All right. <laughs> That's because he's like, he's, he's wiping his tears, Marty. He's wiping his tears. It's true. Well, see, that's when I learned that decimate is actually to take one tenth of your ranks. So maybe, maybe I did decimate you. That's true. That's very true. So here's the thing. Eric is coming on to talk about his brand new game that's currently on Kickstarter from Cool Mini or Not, The Others. Eric, if you want to, why don't you give us an overview of this game that is just blowing up right now on Kickstarter? The Others. I got to put it, I have to say it in the, in the most sinister gothic voice. The Others. So it's, uh, Others is probably the biggest game I've ever made in terms of just sheer quantity of components and, uh, and just amount of content in the game. It's a big horror, big box horror board game with the central themes of corruption, temptation, and redemption. And you got one, it's uh, two to five players. One, one player plays the evil forces of sin, greed, pride, uh, gluttony, all that cool stuff. And who are bring these big, awful demons in to corrupt and destroy the last city of Haven uh, in the near future, just before the apocalypse. The rest of the players are playing a bunch of Really cool, badass vampires, werewolves, uh, guys with rail guns, all that cool stuff to fight them off. Uh, and of course, each of the heroes has their own dark past, and they have to, uh, while fighting off the forces of sin, they have to manage their own corruption doing so, lest they be the, become the beast that they fight. I've got to play this game. I got to play it, uh, it with the cool uh, Mirror Not Expo, and it's exactly like you said. It's, very, it's a very tense game. It's very dark game though i mean i gotta ask you what was your inspiration for this theme well so the inspiration for the theme was actually the art so the the producer of this game uh, the lead producer david Preddy, he uh he and i worked together on a lot of things blood rage included uh, we also worked together on chaos ball and arcadia quest he generally has uh, he works with a lot of the best artists in the world and um especially artists that i'm a huge fan of and he actually had a bunch of really cool art on his computer when I was visiting him, I just go to visit him every uh, once in a while when we're working on um, several projects. He had a bunch of art on his computer and I was looking at it. It's like, what is this? He had like pick stuff for uh, what we now know as pride and get, uh, and some of the alpha team. He just had like the black and white roughs of them. I was like, what is this stuff? It's amazing. He's like, yeah, isn't it? Like um, uh, what game is this? He's like, it's not a game yet. So I'm like, well, it is now because I'm <laughs> making this. This is, it's, I, I was I was just spellbound by it, and it just somehow looking at the art, just as pieces of art, I was I, I had this immediate picture of something like uh, something like like you know, Wes Craven meets Tim Burton meets Ridley Scott meets like all these uh, this crazy potpourri of action horror stuff, uh, and then at one point uh, David accidentally he sent me a file uh, with the big monsters on it, and they said Seven Sins. I was like, that's it. That's that, that threads everything together. That's it. We, so it's basically, it's modern horror with a little bit of a uh, sort of biblical underpinning, all the cool biblical myth mythology stuff that we've got. And it just worked. 
So it, it really it was about as organic as you can possibly get. What you're telling me here is, boom, it came to you. and Because it, it can't always be that easy. No, God, no. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. And I mean, I'll tell you, this game wasn't, this was a very hard game. It actually had a very hard birth. Even though the, the, the IP, the theme came to me very easily, the, um, I had to do several iterations of the gameplay. Um, some of the, like, I knew it had to be a game about managing corruption, and we, we decided early on there was going to be one player versus many. Uh, I, originally, I tried to make the game much more modular and like um, a little bit like uh, Fantasy Flight's Arkham Horror, where it was, just, or it was uh, like a series of vignettes that are mechanically hooked together. And it was fine. It was perfectly fine. But then, uh, and I'll tell you, then I played uh, Dead of Winter by uh, Plat Hat Games. Amazing game. I threw that game away. As soon as I play, played Dead of Winter, I threw my old game away. I was like, this, it's not as good as Dead of Winter. So there it goes. <laughs> um, and I realized that uh, I didn't really want to make it like a, a horror game with traitors in it. I actually wanted to make a good team horror game with where the suspicion, where the, the things that players were suspicious of were not each other, but themselves. Right, you have to make sure that you you are all ticking time bombs, and you're always together as a team. You just want to make sure that you are not the one that goes crazy nuts and uh, and kills your friends. So, out of curiosity, um, why did you choose to go with the the one versus many, like in Mansions of Madness, for example, as opposed to like Arkham Horror, where you're playing everybody's playing against the game? Well, so in this particular game, I wanted to, I really wanted to, uh, to in order to simulate horror. Uh, there's a very particular type of horror I was going for. I was going more for for Aliens, uh, Aliens the second movie, than Alien the first movie, right? Alien the first movie was a cooperative game, right? It was, uh, but Aliens two was action packed and adrenaline and full of adrenaline, make you mop your brow when you're done. And to me, that felt like it needed a human AI to fight against. You needed a, a human AI. I love that. Uh, you, need, you need a human opponent. You need to feel like you're playing against a mind, your friends. And there was a part of me that wanted, the artistic side of me wanted to, you to play this game. You and your friends playing this through the lens of the game, the, the player who's playing the sins really just gets to unleash all of their inner evil and griefing and ways they want to punish their friends in the nice little safety net of the game, right? It's like playing an RPG where you don't ever have to hold back. You just hit as hard as you can. And you know me, I love asymmetrical games where the game is very, very different from one side to another. And this is another expression of that idea. And Eric, I mean, to follow that point, uh, when you go back to the movies, who doesn't want to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre guy? Who doesn't want to be, you know, Hannibal to... To, that's the kind of side we all want to be that big, bad, nasty guy. We do? Not everybody, but there's a lot of us do. I agree. I agree. Okay, and so there's the dark side of me. I'm sorry. I just let it out. <laughs> he just kind of let it go through. Absolutely. Well, so in this particular case, um, I will say that I will say that the the player who's playing the Sins player really gets to feel the um, – they get to feel the, the sense of like just having unlimited evil at their disposal. And it, it does feel pretty good just to be able to throw, to be able to use your stuff as your monsters as resources. And you don't care if they die, you just bring them back later. Uh, and, and you really, you, you get to Lord it over the other players while they're playing. And it's, is a very different type of fun. It sounds like something Marty, when, when you get this game, I'm going to enjoy 
beating you down. I know that. It's very interesting. When I got to play it, I, I like how Eric said that was, you know, sometimes in RPGs uh, with the GM, you, the GM can make it really difficult or he needs to lay back. He can kind of control. I think Eric did a fantastic job in this game of like, he lets the guy controlling the, the playing the bad side to hit as hard as he wants. It's built to be that way. It's not built like, well, I'm just going to kind of let you off easy this time. It's like, you got to come in, punch them in the face as much as you can, or you're going to lose. You have to. Absolutely. And that's the challenge, right? Even though the players feel, I want it was the, the biggest challenge of the game is I want the players to feel overwhelmed at all times. And I also wanted the sins player to feel like they had a challenge as well. Uh, it sounds impossible, but it's, um, I made it that way. The board is, re- is ridiculous, right? It's, uh, you saw the game, right? It's, it's always mm-hmm. full of monsters. It's always full of horrible tokens. But the players get to work together as a team at all times, and they, can co- they get all the benefits of coordination, which means that if the players coordinate at all, the Sins player absolutely has to anticipate and step, keep one step ahead of them. Uh, I failed to do that at the Cool Mini Not Expo, uh, and I let you guys <laughs> I let you guys set up a little bit too perfect a setup where you, where you were pinning too many of my monsters and I couldn't get to you at the end. And that's that's how it works, right? That's I absolutely wanted to make sure the challenge was present for both sides. And when in your design, how do you determine the balance? of one versus many in these games to ensure that people are going to keep coming back. What, what did it take? How did you have to change your thought process? A little bit. Um, so, I mean, usually what you do, right. Balance is, is sort of a zero sum game, right? You want everybody's everybody to have quote unquote equal chances of winning, right? We all know that's not necessarily true, but uh, in general, in the very, very abstract uh, in a team game like this one, you want the odds to be as close to 50, 50, but um, the thought process was knowing that you're never going to get perfect parity. You're never going to get 50-50. I had to make a decision on which side I was going to err on if we ended up with uh, 55-45 or 52-48. Which side would I err on? And I would err on the Sims in this one because it is a horror game. So if um, at any point if I hit a crossroads, I'm like, if when we played the game, we're like, oh, it's too easy for the heroes or oh, it's too easy for the Sims. Too easy for the sins would get a little bit more, just a little bit. I'm talking about like inches, a tiny, tiny little bit more leeway than too easy for the heroes, because the heroes have uh, they have the benefit of coordination and um, multiple minds working against one. So I wanted them to. It's more fun when many people feel terrified together and get that solidarity. <laughs> than one person feeling terrified and four people having an easy time. I will say that one of the, the coolest mechanics I felt in this game that provided so much temp, uh, tension was the corruption mechanic. So can you explain how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that is the core of the game. That is the thing that, that's the thing that made me want to make this game. So um, every, at the heart of it, right, this is a game of killing monsters. Heroes are going out and killing monsters and they're getting to roll a bunch of dice equal to their attack while the monsters roll dice as well. Dice-based adventure games like this, uh, I enjoy because dice are cool and they're dramatic and stuff, but I want to have a lot of finesse in the game. Um, Every hero has a corruption track that uh, allows you to, before you make a die roll of any type, you can choose to become corrupt for that roll and embrace corruption, which raises your track by one and you gain all the bonuses, which could be extra dice, uh, fixed results, or uh, defense Uh, You get all of the results up until that point that you've had. So, for example, you start at corruption level zero. The first time you corrupt, you'll get level one 
you get an extra die. Later on in the game when the sins corrupted you a little bit, you're level 5, and you say, I'm going to corrupt, I'm going to get level 6. You'll get maybe two extra dice, two automatic hits, an extra shield, all that cool stuff. But you only get that bonus if you choose to corrupt, no matter how far up the track you are. So even if you're like, oh, I'm at level 6, I'm so powerful, you still have to take corruption and go up by 1. If you, you only have seven slots on your corruption track, if you hit the if you hit the final one, a you cannot um, it is the most powerful one that you can get, but you cannot corrupt anymore. And then any um, anytime you are corrupted by the sins player in the future, it automatically translates into wounds, which means you go into this horrible death spiral. Or in the corruption stories, which are one third of the stories in the game, you also have to reveal your dark past, which could end up destroying the entire party. Uh, if you if the wrong person exposes their dark past, so it really is the the feeling I wanted with that mechanic was I want the, the players to feel tempted all the time, and the sins player my the the uh, one of my uh, bosses there it's like Coleman you're not he says he feels like a drug dealer he's always like, like come on you want to <laughs> you just want just a little corruption you really want that uh, and it's the sins player does feel like they want to always tempt the players. Come on, just a little corruption. Yeah, it makes them more powerful, but then they get closer to being consumed. And Tony, let me tell you, when we were playing with Eric, the easiest person to corrupt, and you won't believe this, was Rodney. I mean, you would think Rodney, the nicest guy in the world, wouldn't want to be corrupt. All it took Eric was to say, you know, you know, you probably want to take a little corruption. You got a better chance to beat me. Ron's like, okay. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like every time he went up the corruption track, it was the funniest thing because I wouldn't expect that from anybody. And Rodney was just like pushing it to the to the end. It was so funny. So yeah, I think that was part of the fun of it was the sense guy going. Yeah, come on. You can do it. It's no big deal. Just one more. Come on. Just take one more. Absolutely. That's, that's, the, only, that's, the, only way you gotta, that's the only way you're going to beat me is you got to take one more. And you can't take corruption all the time. Otherwise, you death spiral too fast and you lose. And the Sins player wins if too many heroes are killed. So uh, you, you do have to decide, right? It's always tempting to take the corruption, but you can't. You have to decide sometimes to just risk it without. Okay. And for those people who listen to the show who haven't, if you haven't gone and watched the Kickstarter Shame on you. But anyway, remind us, how does the Sins player win again? He kills all the heroes. Is, is Does he have other options? He only has, there's only one way for the Sins player to win, and that is to, yeah, by killing heroes. The the Faith team, which the Faith is the acronym for the team of heroes that there are, there are always seven heroes total on the team, but there are only three or four in play at a time, depending on how many players. Whenever a hero is killed, they're replaced by one of the backup heroes from the team of seven, uh, if a hero is ever killed and cannot be replaced, the heroes lose immediately. So all players are always in the game, even though their characters are getting killed left, right, and center. And I will say, do not get attached to the hero that you're playing <laughs> nope. because he or she will die. So that what you're telling me, that's just part of the game. You expect that to happen. Expect to take corruption. You need the corruption because if you don't, there's no way to finally gain victory against the one. Absolutely. And so the other thing is, um, and Marty, actually, I remember did this really well in the game that we had, uh, that you have to, sometimes you have to choose when to sacrifice yourself, right? You have to make, you got to make the sacrifice to make the big, to make the big play. It's a mission based game for the heroes. Uh, when the, the, I guess we should explain I'm loving the sin players so much here. I should, the heroes, <laughs> at, um, every game you play, it's a, it is sort of a scenario based game. There are seven different stories in the game. Um, the stories are very replayable and lots with lots of variation in them, but they're they're a mission tree that the players have to go through. And if the players make it through the missions up and finish the final one, they win the game. 
The Sims player is just trying to kill them before they do that. So it is it is a hero centric point of view, but the Sims is just like you just single minded, just killing you. Yeah, I will say that was actually another one of the mechanics I really like too. Tony is is uh, he's like I said, it's like a mission tree, so it's like a story that branches. So you start at the top, and as you go down, you branch. And as a team, you're sitting there trying to decide when it's time to branch. Let's go to this this one side of the story. No, no, no. Let's go to the other side of the story. And there's this whole dynamic of which side you want to try to tackle, which one you think you have a better chance with. And then, I believe it. Does it come together at the end, or do they branch and stay separated? There's, well, every story is a little bit different, but there's um, there's there's almost there is always one ending. Um, I did actually have in playtest at one point. I had a story with two different endings, and it was it, it was fun in theory. But one ending is is much more narrative. I did want a very narrative feel for this game, um, but how you get to that ending is up to you. Because I remember the player boards. You start off at the one, then it branches and it comes down to the center. Now I confuse myself here, Eric. So you'll have to excuse me. So that is those story cards. They're dealt out, or how does that work? Oh, so it's. Um, so either you can agree or go random. So okay. there's a number, there's a whole bunch of modular, um, even though it is a narrative game, there are a lot of modular, what I call plugins for the game, right? So the, uh, when you play the game, there are, well, there are, there are a number of different sins that the sins player could play. The sins player only plays one sin for each game, uh, that can that's either chosen randomly or, um, by choice. The, the player teams have, um, the, the players have to assemble their team of heroes. The, um, and then the storyboard's also chosen theoretically randomly, uh, randomly or by choice. Um, either you guys just agree, you sit down and agree at which, what uh, story we're going to play, or you just go, nope, random. And there's another really cool uh, replayability mechanic of it, too, is, is the Sins player can play as a different Sin, and each Sin has a certain effect on the game. Right. For example, Tony, when we played, uh, Eric played as Lust, if you, I can't remember if you either start or end your turn in the same room in a room with somebody else, something bad happens. So you never want to be near somebody else. So yeah, every sin has one big overarching mechanic at all times, and it punishes players for something they have to do. It's just punishing you in a different way. Yeah, lust. If two players end their tur- two heroes and their turn in the same space, they each take a corruption because you know lust. Oh no, no, what's happening here? Exactly. So thematically, it was very, very cool, but it really stuck because sometimes you wanted to be in the same room with somebody else to help each other right, out. Right. You get bonuses for helping each other out. Right. So you have to do that. And the sins. Each sin has a custom deck of cards. Um, that they use to to screw with the heroes, and those cards are uh, they're derived from and also plug into their own power. So they they have their own flavor as well. So surprise, surprise, lust cards will uh, be tempting players to stick together as much as possible. Give us an example of another one, gluttony. Uh, so gluttony. Hey, uh, let me let me let me stick to ones that we've spoiled so far. Okay, so I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. My oh, bad. My no bad. Wor- no worries. No worries. Um, so we see we have. Uh, I'm just double checking the Kickstarter here to be sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, pride. Pride is um, one of the two that comes in the core box. Well, pride does the opposite of lust. Pride actually punishes you for being alone. Uh, if oh. any player is alone, you ignore one of their built-in defense. So it's actually easier to kill them when they hang out on their own. Um, Sloth is the other one in the box, and uh, Sloth makes you go slow. He makes movement yep. really hard and painful. So if you start a combat with any monster while Sloth is in charge, then you get marked uh, for the turn, and you are, uh, and you move one step uh, slower unless you take a wound. 
And uh, movement in the others is very, very, like you only get to move two spaces per turn, but the map is, uh, like heroes get to move very quick, uh, very quickly across the map. It's not like a tiny little grid-based map. It's a, it's like a, uh, an art piece featuring a bunch of different city buildings. I'm pretty sure that gluttony was over time you get diabetes, but I could be wrong. Well, there you go. Too much sugar. Too much. But from the standpoint, I mean, the map, modular maps, I'm loving that you designers are, are right on track with these modular maps, giving the replayability, being able to, I mean, that just builds in expansion. So I know you've got other plans for this game, don't you? Oh, uh, well, of course we do. Uh, one thing that you guys didn't see actually when we were playing is that each story on the back of the story card, well, actually, there are multiple different map setups for the uh, for each story. And the the tiles, the, the modular tiles in this game, are they're not just map pieces, like different configurations of spaces. They're actually, um, each city district in the game has a unique combination of powers that the heroes get to use, uh, which is one of the core parts of the game. That the um, like, for example, the uh, the start well, the start space, the city hall, which is usually the start space for the heroes. It uh, when the hero uses their city action there, they get to heal one. They get to corrupt, uh, and they get to heal one corruption, heal one wound, heal one corruption. Um, there are other places that can get you uh, new upgrade items, or uh, other areas that can get you uh, extra turns, etc. But the combination, each building is unique and different, and. So like each city, like I really, what I wanted to capture in that was that each city tile really feels like a block, right? A unique city block. So you feel like, you really feel like uh, when like, oh, the hospital isn't in this setup. Oh, it's going to be really hard to heal this game, right? And that's by virtue of the map rather than anything else. So different map setups really do make for different game experiences. What was the one tile that uh, like allowed us to call it an airstrike or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the, um, there are a number of the, uh, so the, the police station, I think, was the one that uh, you guys went to. Yeah, you get to call in a little orbital airstrike and move the, uh, you get to move the orbital targeting reticle to a different space and then just automatically kill a monster. Yeah, that was You it. got drones in this game? Uh, we have orbital <laughs> laser strike. Sweet. There you go. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, it's obvious from looking at things that and looking at the maps that this is a different time. We're not talking in the nineteen early 1900s. This is almost in our time. It's near future, actually. Near future. It's, yeah, they have, yeah we, they have the orbital laser strikes. They have the rail guns, that kind of stuff. But it's because there's uh, magic is alive in the world, it definitely has that fantasy feel to it. And Tony, there's a werewolf. There's one character that can turn into a werewolf. Can the villagers kill him? No, no, the villagers do not lynch that one. Wrong game. And in fact, we were able to win because we had that character that could turn into a werewolf at the end of the game, which they get bonuses when they turn into the werewolf. There's a lot of tension in this game. And I remember at the end of the game, we were like, let's just go for it and see if we can win because we think we're getting ready to lose. And I think it was Brittany who was playing the werewolf, went into the werewolf mode and was able to pull off a couple moves, got some couple lucky dice rolls for us to win. But that was amazing to me about the whole game. Starting at the very beginning, you're looking at this town set up and it's like, oh my gosh, there's monsters here. There's bad things in the street. I mean, from the very beginning, it's tension, tension, tension. And as soon as you clean up an area, the sins guy is going to plop more bad things down there on his next turn. Right. And if you don't, he's going to do it anyway. So like you have to, you you have to split your time between killing monsters and solving what we call resolving uh, solving crises, as, or as my producer called it, cleaning the streets. Because mm. <laughs> there's fire and corruption all over the place that you have to get rid of. Otherwise, your friends are going to walk through it and and uh, 
and get hurt doing that. Now, I'm trying to remember, also the Sins player had these cards that he could play during the course of everybody else's turn, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the customized Sins player deck. Yeah, and what was interesting about that was, Tony, as we were playing, it's every once in a while Eric would play a card, and it was like sometimes he would just keep one close to his vest, and we're like going, what is that other card? And we was afraid he's going to drop it at any time and just do something really bad to us. We were so glad when his hand was empty, because we knew he couldn't do anything to us at that time, but obviously Eric's a very smart guy, and he always usually kept a card in his hand to hit us with something. That was part of the horror feel, actually, that I was going for, was that the... To make the um, to make the flow of information asymmetrical, so the heroes they have lots of powers and lots of cool stuff, but their information is 100% open. Everybody gets to see it. The sins player is the only one that has hidden information, right? Because I mean, the greatest fear, as Lovecraft was so fond of telling us, is fear of the unknown. So I made sure to give all the unknown to the sins player. And I guess that's part of being in control of it. I mean, <clears throat> the, the horror feel of it. You don't know what's coming. It's like you said, the unknown. It's getting ready to come around the corner and it's going to bite you. Hopefully, hopefully you'll survive. Well, you know, but as if you're playing the sins player, you don't want them to survive. That's, <laughs> that's a true that's, fact. Tell me, Eric, what, what would be a strategy for the sins player that could help them win or, or in a strategy for the heroes? You said hit him hard, hit him hard, but, but in your mind as the designer, what is something that people need to be aware of to help well, them in this game? So, it's a, so this is a story game. It's a story-based game. So the sins player needs to pay attention to the story as much as the heroes do. So, um, uh, so it's hard for me to give you a blanket, uh, a blanket answer because it is very situational. But if um, the storyboard is there between the players and the sins, so both players know what the heroes need to accomplish in order to win the game. If the sins player is not cognizant of that, the sin, you have to, um, he's just going to be only reacting to players. So the players always have a big picture idea of what they're supposed to be doing. There's, uh, it, the game is very time limited, and as the game goes on, the sins player gets more powerful, so the the heroes have to finish the story as expediently as possible. So they're going to be trying to overlap little, uh, little goals or get started on future stories while uh, on future missions while finishing the first one while keeping, keeping aware of that as a sins player, what you need to be doing is not only just killing the right guys, but, uh, but also blocking, uh, like when you're playing fire tokens, playing corruption tokens, don't necessarily always play stuff and attack the nearest player or attack the player's turn. It is sometimes you just want to maneuver uh, monsters a couple of turns because you are you really are the, for lack of a better term, the chess player. You have the entire board. It is yours. Sometimes you want to move a monster, not necessarily to fight the current hero, but to create a concentration of monsters where they need to be a mission from now, right? Or to block the streets to make it painful for heroes to move from space to space. Um, but yeah, you have to basically. Be on their team as if you were a team member. Listen to listen in on their plans, and make sure because they have to say everything out loud. And everything they're planning on doing, you've got to step, be a step ahead of them and block what they're going to do as much as what they're doing now. Don't be afraid to not attack somebody if you have the chance. So what I'm hearing you tell me, Eric, from from that perspective because i can see where people in the one versus many game they're thinking like well if i'm the one i'm going to be sitting around waiting for the other players no you've got to really be engaged with what's going on right and well so the uh the way that the game structure is it's um i uh i'm not a big fan of downtime uh i'm sure i'm sure i've said that often enough but i mean a little bit of downtime is fine for people to discuss and stuff but the the 
player, uh, the, the hero actions are broken up pretty minutely. So every hero only gets one action. And in between each hero's action, the Sin player has an option to react. So after everybody gets their move, you have to make a critical decision of do you want to spend one of your reaction tokens, you only get one per hero, do you want to spend one to react to this hero, or do you want to wait for the next one? So even deciding to do nothing is a decision for you. So it is, it is a, um, even though you may not be actively doing something, you were engaged enough to make that choice. And I must say, uh, Tony, when we were playing and it got to that point where Eric had to make that decision, he says, yeah, I think I'm going to use a reaction token. We were like, oh, because we knew something bad was coming. Okay, that's interesting. I mean, that's that's great. You're right, Eric. Downtime is a killer for these types of games, but you obviously got it handled. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I mean, I, we playtested the heck out of this game. We playtested at least, I don't know, I can't, I've lost count. Like for a game that is this long, is a is a ninety minute, it's a beefy ninety minute game. Uh, I, I made sure, like I always watch my players very very carefully, and I play with many many different groups, not just hardcore players, players all over the spectrum. Uh, and I I watch for engagement levels, and the the least enfranchised players, like the 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 ones that like to just the the type of gamer that just is a more of a socializer that just likes to sit down and enjoy the conversation and stuff with like with players. Um, even they were, I, I've noticed they were pretty, they were engaged enough because they were, you know, of course they were offering their two cents on other players' turns, but it, they really felt like they were dependent on, right? Like the, the, their actions count. So even when somebody else was, uh, when, so, when somebody else was taking their turn, they were either, uh, they were either planning out their next turn or looking over the story to pick, uh, to figure out which mission they wanted to do next or what they had to do to prepare for that mission. Uh, or in some cases, when we get to really advanced games, try to speak a little bit in code so that they, uh, to each other, so that they don't, uh, so the Sins player can't really suss out what they're talking about. Okay. All right. And how long has it been in development? When did you start? Oh, wow. This game's about a year and a half. This one's been, this one's been going on for a while. Like when I say year and a half, like, very often when I'm working on a game, especially one like this, I actually, I sometimes set it aside for a couple of months just for a, like a period of reflection to work on something else. Um, that's where a lot of the greatest uh, iterations come from. Uh, that's why like the, the longer, longer games like this have to bake, um, especially where I have some time away, the better they end up for it. And, and listening to you, Eric, it doesn't sound like it's going to suffer from that alpha player issue that you sometimes get in co-ops or one versus many i mean i'm gonna be realistic right i mean i play a lot of co-op games and mm -hmm. there i mean there will be some of course there will be um there the game is there's a couple of ways to solve the alpha gamer issue right which uh xcom i did it with real time uh, everybody's uh, arguing all the time um this game <laughs> i solved it with complexity right there's the game itself is not that complex but the situations and decisions are complex enough and there's enough uncertainty that there's enough room for reasonable disagreement, even among uh, even among players of disparate skill. So you are responsible for what your character does, and if you feel like you've got to, I, I put enough uncertainty. There's there's a smokescreen for you to be able to go look. I'm feeling better about this particular choice than what you're telling me to do. I got to do this, right? If you choose to, and in some cases, some players, uh, I'm actually going to make the the. The, uh, take the position that some players really actually want to be alpha gamed in, the, in 
in cooperative games, right? I've played many, many, many different cooperative games, and not everybody has an equal level, wants to share an equal level of responsibility. Sometimes players want to go like, hey, help me out a little bit, right? But they want to feel agency over their own turn, right? Even if they're getting advice from other players, it's critical that they make the, they actually make the moves. Well, I've got to ask you this, because people who listen to our podcast have heard me talk about this in the past, about minis and games and how, how they seem to be coming up. As a designer, did you know that minis were going to be included in this game, and how much input did you have on that? Oh, I definitely, I mean, of course, yeah. Uh, uh, so when the, uh, the producer, David Pretty, he, uh, as soon as, he's a, a great producer who works with a lot of artists, and every time I work on a game with him, I know there's going to be lots and lots of minis in it because the art is such a focal point. Um, I actually don't have a lot of say in the others. I had very little say, very little to no say, in fact, over the art direction because the characters were already done, right? He had the, the art was already done. The artists uh, worked closely with David. So, um, that was, it was kind of a relief for me actually, right? It was like, I had this pastiche already to work with and I, I had to weave a, uh, I kind of had to bring the lowbrow in, right? I had to bring in a, uh, an IP that with I had to try to put some tropes in there that people can understand rather than this like this huge potpourri of like weird strange characters it was actually my job to try to make it something understandable and relatable you know we we're seeing a trend and it's like are they putting with the minis does it bring something to the game we were having a big discussion about that you understand where we're going here from the standpoint of calls versus gameplay you you said for yourself dead of winter it had standees did you feel like you lost anything from Dead of Winter by not having those minis in there? Interesting. So um, in, in the case of Dead of Winter specifically, no. But I actually mm-hmm. think that standees artistically served the game quite well because you because your guys actually felt more expendable, right? Like they actually felt yeah. like cardboard cutouts. And I, I actually liked that, right? I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the, the two-dimensionality of it actually served the game. Um I'll tell you, I mean, toys are awesome. Like, toys are amazing. And in the games, especially big uh, Ameritreasure games, as we like to call them, um, like uh, like Blood Rage, right? Blood Rage, I play Blood Rage with uh, with little cubes, right? And the game is, of course, I'm very proud of the game. I think the game's very good. But you put those, you put that giant-ass sea serpent on the table, (laughs) and it's just cooler, Right, it is just cooler, and the fact that the monster's size is a little bit representative of their ability, I actually get to say uh, it actually helps gameplay. Uh, sorry, actually, the, the, actually, this leads me to a point about the other specifically. When I um, when I talk about the game visually uh, with uh, with players when I'm teaching the game, I actually put the miniatures out there, and I can say like, look, the more scary the miniature looks, the more dice it's probably going to roll. Right, and that's that's huge. That is right. Um, it's a huge gameplay aid, um, and so I, I do. Th- in this particular case, I think it really does help. And of course, it's a horror game, so it does add to the atmosphere. Uh, I remember very much. So I had this one play test that I'll never forget. We had a uh, uh, there was five players, and uh, including a husband and wife. The wife was a little skittish already. She's like, "This looks a little scary." Um, she's not really. I mean, a she wasn't. Um, She's a hardcore gamer, but she's not a, a horror fan at all, right? Doesn't like that kind of stuff. 
but the um, and then when I brought out the big pride miniature with the tentacles, I said, uh, "It turns like I attack her. I, he attacks you, and she squeaked." Was <laughs> like, "Ah, oh, God!" That's like if that was a if it was a chit, it wouldn't have done that. The reason why we're coming uh, from this is because you know when when Cool Mini comes out with stuff, they put out great production, but the price tends to little be a little bit higher for the Absolutely. minis. So I think people some people are are, are stuck with that. Am I going to invest a hundred dollars into this game, and will I get enough play out of it? And I, you know, sometimes people wonder if, what if there were like two versions of the game where there was the the one with the minis that was more expensive, and there was one that didn't have the minis that was a little bit less. I mean, has there ever been any talk about that to try to get the game in more hands of people who just don't want to put out a hundred bucks? I can't speak. To, unfortunately, I can't speak to that much to the business side of it, but the mm-hmm. um, I, I can tell you. My own personal point of view, um, and this is, you know, uh, standard disclaimer, I speak, I am Eric Lang and I do not speak for Cool Mini or anything like that. (laughs) But um, from my own personal point of view, I actually think based on uh, the saturation level of the marketplace right now, how many new games are coming out like in a month and how much really, and so many of them are good that are out there. I actually think that skew proliferation is a real problem, and we have to be—we do have to be careful to manage that. Um, I definitely like—I would not be like if they asked me today, like, "Hey, do you want to make a you know a thirty-dollar version of the others?" I'd be like, "Probably not," because like mm-hmm. I don't want two skews of the others. I want the the others the the miniatures as part of its identity, right? And it is—I want it to feel like a hundred-dollar game. So if you—I I mean. I spend like I I make sure to buy all my games. I don't get any discounted games or anything like that. Um, when so like just a to remind myself like what it actually costs to, to get to keep in this hobby, uh, and b because I love collecting games and I want to make sure that my my friends are making their royalties. Mm-hmm. Like when I buy a hundred dollar game, I feel like like when I open that box, there's part of the I I know it's psychological conditioning, but I open up that box. I'm like oh I really I see all those toys. And then I bust it out to play. I like I feel like I'm playing a hundred dollars worth of game. Right, right. And it's I know it's it seems a little shallow, but like you know, I'm a shallow guy. No, 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 no. I, and I couldn't I, I couldn't agree with you more about from first off, like Marty said, cool mini, incredible miniatures. Two, it's going to bring the theme home for you. So there are points where it's like, could they have used it? But for the others. I couldn't agree. I mean, the minis are what they'll, they'll drive you the gameplay. You'll keep, Hey, what was that game that we had where that thing with all the tentacles came out and killed us all? Let's play that again. It's going to stick in your mind versus what was that thing that had a piece of cardboard? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very thematic game and and it does need, but you know, it's just one of those things as a consumer, it's one of those things they have to consider at this point. You know, once you break that three digit price point, you know, as a buyer of games, you got to sit there and start start weighing, you know, things. And then people start wondering, well, what about if it had been standees instead sort of deal? Absolutely. Well, and so I agree with you, by the way, 100%. So if if you want to put toys in your game, your game better earn it, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. they should mm-hmm. serve the game. Um, I'm actually working on another game right now, uh, the, the next year's Gen Con game, for Cool Mini or Not, um, a big box game. And I actually designed that game from the components first. I spent a lot of time like playing around with components and I was like, Oh, this is, this is helping the, like they, this is informing the gameplay so much that by putting that game together, like I, I know exactly what needs to be like what materials they need to be, how big they need to be. And the, the components are of course, minis included. 
um, the components really serve the atmosphere of the game and the feeling that the, uh, that you get by playing. Uh, and it really, uh, uh, even changing some of those components, I think would really detract from the gameplay. But I agree, I'm really, I'm all about that, right? It's, it's a whole package. So speaking of which, you're talking about working on other games. Is there a style of game that you've not designed yet that you'd like party to? Party game. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love party games. I, I love them. I, I absolutely love them. Um, I've made a few, and they were, they were okay. Um, they were not better than anything on my shelf right now. But yeah, absolutely. I would love to make... I would absolutely love to make a, a good party game, but they don't come that they playing them comes naturally. Designing them does not come naturally to me. I can see. It. I mean, that's why I think everybody was so surprised when uh, Vlada Shavadal uh, came out. It was like, he's coming out with a party game. It was like, excuse me. And then Codenames comes out and is going, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh, Codenames is incredible. It's my favorite design of his actually ever. And I'm a, and he's one, and he's one of my favorite designers, but, but it's so simple. You know, when you think about it, but it's, it, it's, it's just amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's so compelling. Uh, good for him. It's funny you say that. You're talking about, you know, they're, they're easy to play, but hard to design. I've heard the same thing about uh, music. It's very hard to write a simple pop song. Right. Well, it's, that, you know, it's that, hard that to write. That it's, out. Right. It's hard to write one that, it, yes, one that stands out that isn't just standards. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Same thing with party games, I think, probably. Absolutely agree. So, like, I, I know, like, I <laughs> bring the music into it. Like, I know the theory behind party games. I understand intellectually how to put it, like, what you're supposed to, uh, intellectually and philosophically, how a party game is supposed to work, the ingredients of a successful party game. It just, nothing has really spoken to me yet that that's taken it to the finish. Just out of curiosity, other than Codenames, what's another one of your favorite party games? Oh, I like, I actually like a lot of the classics. I'm a big, big fan of Balderdash. Um, I love, um, the Richard Garfield did a game called what were you thinking? Uh, from most of the first while ago, a great game. Love that game. Uh, I love, um, I like the, the, the get the, the social games, like the, the get to know your friends, better games like scruples or taboo. Big fan of apples to apples. Um, I also like, um, so like, yeah, I mean the really, I mean, I'm talking about the really social party games, right? Like, so I actually call, I would actually say uh, code names is it, it's a casual game or it's, a, it's almost a casual quote unquote beer and pretzels game. I actually don't even in my fussy definition, I actually don't even consider it a party game. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cause it's still a game. It's still a game of skill at the end of the day. What do you think is the most underutilized theme in board games right now? The most underutilized theme. Wow, that's a good question. Uh, thank you. That came from our BGG guild because we don't come up with these on our own. <laughs> the most, see, this is one of those interesting questions where, like, it's like, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> zombies are not the is not the right well, no, answer. There's, I mean, there's a glib way to answer this, right? Because, like, I could I could easily say, like, give you an answer, like, you know, like, you know, prostitution or something like that, right? Like. <laughs> <laughs> it's underutilized, but like, would you want to utilize it? No, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, we do have lust in the game, <laughs> right? Well, yeah. So, I, I guess. Okay. Well, what about for Eric Kling? What do you think is the most underutilized for you? Yeah. Is there a theme that you haven't tackled yet you'd like to? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm trying to be a little careful here because I'm I'm tackling some as we speak. Oh, um, okay. Gotcha. Well, why don't we just Why don't we table this and move on to the next question? <laughs> well, here I'll tell you what. Here's a game I, I'm not working on right now that I'd love to play. I would love to play a. I'd love to play a really good Delta Force style 
black ops government, like, you know, elite government agents taking down, you know, uh, terrorists or, or gun runners or stuff like that. But a game, a game told from the, a personal point of view rather than a tactical point of view, so that you really, you know, something where you really get a sense of what these guys have to go through and the, and the terrible decisions they have to make in the field. It sounds like it's ripe for, uh, man, I'm thinking, you know, as I'm saying it, I'm like, I'm thinking of a game. But <laughs> <laughs> um, we just want our names in the credits at the back, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, so here's one. Now, and this is straight from our BGG Guild, so this is, this is where this is coming from. All right. Now that, you, now that you're widely considered an elite designer. Elite? Does that mean I have the little dragon on my, uh, on my character crest when we're playing WoW? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Do you feel added pressure when designing a new game? Like, you know, people expect greatness from you now. Uh, absolutely. I feel incredible pressure on every game I make. I don't know if, I, I don't know if that's any different than before, though. Like, I always, I always feel like every game's got to be, um, I don't want to say better than the last, but it's got to offer, the, the bar keeps going up. So games are taking me longer to make. I am much more likely to throw a game away than I used to be, even games that I think are good. But um, I feel like the... So my minimum bar for a new game has always been it's got to be unique and compelling in some way. Um, and unique doesn't have to be mean it, like it brings something crazy, new, innovative to the table, but it has to be something that doesn't already fit on your shelf. And compelling, right? So that space is narrowing, right? There's so many new games coming out and many of them are good. And the um, my critical skills are raising are, are are elevating faster, I think, than my creative skills. So I'm getting to the point where I can hate everything I do uh, with with powerful great hate, and then not necessarily able to rise above that too quickly. So I do kill a lot of games because of that. Okay, so you really like designing thematic games. You like using minis and telling a story and stuff. Do you have any desire to to design a cube pushing? Point salad euro? Yeah. Um, so, sort of. So, like the, um, uh, I'm going to be a little careful here. We hit on something else, Tony. This is awesome. Oh, he'll never come back on, dude. God. <laughs> um, so, they, I used to really like uh, economic optimization games, right? Which is what all these, the, 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 the epithet is cube pusher, but or cube juggler, but the, the like they're all economic engine games, um, abstract ep- economic engine games, and like I used to be a huge, huge fan of them, and I still respect them very much. I just don't have as much fun as I used to playing them, um, and that's actually on me rather than the game. I actually find that when I play a game by, um, uh, I always pick on this poor guy, um, Stefan Feld, who's like I think he's like he's probably the best designer in the world at making these at wrangling the most agony out of every decision point you can in the smallest amount of rule space. Mm-hmm. He's a, probably the best in the world at it. I just don't have fun playing those kind of games because for me personally, when I play them, after playing a game like that, I get the exact same... It feels exactly like work for me. Like When I finish playing one of those, I feel like I should have a prototype at the end of it. I'm going through the same decision process as I'm making when making a game when designing a game, because the decisions are so well pared down, like I ignore immersion of all type, I ignore social, uh, I ignore the social dynamics of all types. It doesn't matter who else is at the table. I'm just, I'm playing this game. I'm making this. 
I, I'm creating this engine, right? And at the end of it, I'm like, you know what? I do this when I'm designing games. It's not relaxing to me. So you feel like uh, after playing a failed game, you should get paid for it. Well, personally, right? But so, and which which means like, I I, now I I totally see the appeal for people who aren't doing this professionally. But once you start doing this professionally, you're like, oh man, I'm gonna go play King of Tokyo, right? Because, right? It's 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 easier to uh, it's easier to achieve flow in that kind of game, right? Where you're uh, where you are challenged, but you're challenged just enough, but uh, like the line between challenge and relaxation is blurred. One final tough question for you, Eric, and then, then we're going to move on to rank them here. Um, cause sure. we oh, Yeah. Sorry, Tony. I actually didn't even answer the question. Uh, the, I didn't even answer the question about cube jugglers. I said, why well, I didn't like them, but, uh, I actually do want to make one. And I did have, uh, this one's free for BGG. Anybody can use this if they want. I actually, I actually made this really cynical, uh, game that I actually called 1984. Uh, which, uh, based on Orwell's 1984, which uh, anybody can pick this up and run with it if they want. But it was actually a game, it was a sort of a Banksian type game of uh, where all of you guys are, are cube pushers. That is your role. And you guys are converting cubes, literal and metaphorical cubes, into other cubes based on the tastes of the audience. So, and then when you have a bunch of cards come up like, oh, now red is the new black and black is worth the most. And you guys actually, and you're literally going through the motions of turning <laughs> cubes into other cubes, both in the game and in the game world um, for, uh, you know, for sort of dystopian masters that you don't quite understand, but there you go. So I, the, I thought that was kind of, it, it, it's a little too cute and meta for me, but I'm sure, I mean, the designer of like the deck building, deck building game could make that game. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I, I like it. It's, it's real life. I'm pushing paper. Here we go. Like there you it. go. I like that. So more importantly, though, Eric, this is, in all seriousness, when you're, uh -oh. when you're playing a game, what color do you like to be? Green. Green. Okay. Hardly anybody picks green, so you always probably always have that available to you. You, you think so? You would think so. <laughs> I have to fight for green often. Wow. I've actually played with probably... You know how there's when you play with games with some players, there's always somebody like, "Don't I'm always this color." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For, I've played with more groups and more players for whom green was that color than any other color. I am surprised. Usually it's like a blue or red. It seems for us. Uh, you'd think, right? You would think, but nope. Well, maybe green is that the, the money. Show me the money, green. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So before we let you go, we want to uh, do something with you that we do with all of our guests that come on the show. We want to play a game that we call Rank 'em. Rank 'em. And how this is going to work is we're going to give you three items and we want you to rank these in any way that you want, any preference, but just explain why you rank them in that way. For example, I could say vanilla, strawberry, and chocolate, and you could rank them based on flavor or rank them based on color or how you like the words, whatever you want. Do you understand how to play this game? So you're ranking them uh like you're, this is a value judgment, right? Ranked best through worst. Yes. Okay. Top to bottom. Got it. Tony, oh, oh, I'll get to go first. Oh, excellent. All right. So my first one is, let me pull him up real quick. Sorry about that. I was expecting Marty to go first. Just, <laughs> ah, he threw me a curveball. 
All right, I rank Marty first, then Tony, because, because Marty <laughs> threw yes. Tony the curveball for which he was not prepared. Yeah. yeah. All right, so your first one is, because I've heard you say it multiple times, is Blade Runner, Aliens, Gladiator. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Blade Runner, top, um, because that, that movie, I think, literally blew my mind when I first saw it. It changed my, it changed my entire perception on what... Uh, science fiction could be that science fiction was actually a human story that wrapped in trappings and the, uh, in science fiction trappings and the, you know, the uh, spoiler alert at the end, <laughs> the, the fact that they didn't answer the question. Um, I'm, of course we're talking about the director's cut that they didn't necessarily answer the question. I was like, Oh my God, that's storytelling. <laughs> Um, Aliens, very close second. Um, Alien is actually my favorite of the trilogy. I'm sorry, Alien, yeah. Oh, oh Alien in the singular? Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. I'm All sorry, right, I, I mistyped. I mistyped on my own notes. No worries. Then it's even closer. Still Blade Runner, but then Alien. Alien is, in my opinion, the best horror movie ever made of, in wow. any genre. Uh, it scared the beep out of me. It, uh, I still, to this day, get goosebumps watching that movie. And I've seen it God knows how many times. Uh, I studied film for quite a while in school, um, and the the it's one of those it's one of those scripts I show people and like this is a perfect story, no fat, it's tense all the way through. It's um, but it's still a bit of it's just enough of a roller coaster, blah blah blah, all that stuff. Amazing movie, uh, Gladiator, way at the bottom. I hated that movie. Um, it's uh, I, I I understand why people love it. I love the soundtrack. Lisa Gerrard is one of my favorite uh, musicians. Uh, I just didn't, I went into the movie expecting like sort of a, uh, a, a, like a, you know, fun wrestling romp type of thing. And I, instead I got this story that I was not, I didn't particularly think was really good or challenging or anything like that. With apologies to people who actually like the movie, I just didn't like it at all myself. So for me, I'm actually going to rank them the exact same way. It's going to be um, Blade Runner first, uh, then Alien, and then way down at the bottom is Gladiator because it was one of those things. I saw Gladiator once. I never see it, need to see it again. But when Blade Runner or Aliens on TV, it's hard not to sit and watch it. It's a cult classic. Exactly. And for me, to keep this thing moving, I'm going to actually swap Alien, Blade Runner, and Gladiator. Matter of fact, I was watching Alien this weekend. I was just like, how did I survive this as a kid watching this? This, this is like, like you guys said, Eric, this is freaking me out right now. Right? So, it's uh, crazy. Oh my, oh, my gosh. And for to be that old and still do that, oh, amazing. Yep. Who needs effects when you've got great storytelling? So my first one is Muppets, Dark Crystal, Fraggle Rock. Oh boy! All right, this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna lose some geek uh, some geek cred here. So I haven't seen Dark Crystal. I know. So I guess I have to put that at the bottom because I haven't seen it. Uh, Muppets, I will put astronomically at the top. Uh, it is. Uh, it's, Jim Henson's amazing. I mean, I know Fraggle Rocks, but but uh, to me, Muppets is uh, it, yes, I, it's sort of defined my childhood. I'd still watch it today. I would let my uh, my kids watch it. It's just is the maybe the deepest kids show I've ever seen. Like maybe other than Chuck Jones uh, cartoons. Uh, great stuff. It's very and it's the thing that gets me the most about it. It's just joyful, beginning to end. It's absolute unadulterated joy and you never feel it never feels saccharine um fraggle rock i liked 
Um, not nearly as much as Muppets, and I don't know why, but I got a tiny hint of cynicism out of that. And I, I, maybe it's because I got older and a little bit more jaded, but I, I caught a little bit of that with it. Um, and unfortunately, Dark Crystal I never saw. All right. Mine will be Muppets, Dark Crystal, love the movie, and then Fraggle Rock. It still disturbs me that the Fraggles think it's okay to go eat the construction. Those guys have been working hard, and they're going in there eating their buildings. <laughs> it just kills me. I'm going to rank the same way. Uh, it's uh, Muppets way at the top within Dark Crystal and Fraggle Rock. And, uh, Eric, you do know that the Muppets are coming back to TV on ABC this fall, right? I know. I'm scared. <laughs> I I am too, but I, I got to give them credit. They are definitely trying something different, trying to make it a little more adult oriented so we'll see how it goes that's true oh and by the way animal best drummer on the planet there he is uh i 100 agree you you can't go wrong with dr teeth and uh like electric like orchestra <laughs> no not electric light orchestra <laughs> electric mayhem yeah that's it that's it, it. all right uh mortal Kombat, street fighter mario smash brothers oh my god you guys who who did this one uh, i did it all right. And it's Super Smash Super Brothers, Smash, not Mario. Super Smash, Smash Brothers. All right. You got me right where I live, dude. All right. I will try not to take up your entire program <laughs> with this one. Um, uh, I am a huge fighting fan, fighting game fan. Huge. Right? Like, um, uh, anyway. So, uh, Street Fighter. Um, Street Fighter, way, way distant top. Mortal Kombat. Uh, sorry, no. Super, Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> Distant second, Mortal Kombat, neck and neck third. Uh, Street Fighter I grew up with, it defined, to me it still defines fighting games. It de- yeah, I, dude, I could talk about this for hours. Um, it's amazing, like, it, it's part of my, it's actually part of my DNA, it's part of my lexicon. When, I'm think, when I talk about games and game design, Street Fighter informed a lot of that. Uh, so I think it's just, it's elegant. It's awesome. It looks beautiful. It's adrenaline and uh, it's adrenaline pumping, all that cool stuff. It appeals to kids. It appeals to adults. It has a tournament scene, all that cool stuff. Um, Super Smash Brothers, the exact opposite, right? It's just stupid fun, absolute stupid fun. And nothing beats a game where you can, if you are bad at it, like me, you can just play Pikachu and just go pika 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 and actually get everybody else to kill themselves trying to get over to kill you that's class fantastic and of course mortal kombat uh, mortal kombat's awesome it just um it just i mean street fighter you can't put it in the same class and and before you answer marty so uh, eric who did you play in street fighter uh, Street Fighter, I actually played Dalsim most of the time, and then eventually at the end of my... I, I played every character for a long time. Dalsim to start with, at the end of my career, I went with E-Honda. Oh, is he, he's the slap dude, right? He's the slap dude, yep. Because it's Basically because his animations looked amazing and funny, and when you there's a point where you, when you were to be silly, you just do the same move over and over and over again to somebody until they like punched you in the face. Um, E-Honda's looked the best when he was just like... Uh, when he was stomach slapping you, it was pretty cool. Okay, I must admit, I stink at fighting games. I used to play them a lot, but I, I totally stink at them. Now, I'm, I'm Street Fighter is awesome, but I think I'm going to have to put Mortal Kombat ahead of it just because of the style of game it was. I remember the first time I walked in the arcade, and it was like, whoa, those look like real 
people. Right. That is really, and then you hear the story about what's going on behind it. So I was just drawn to that. And then they came out with the console version. I don't know if y'all remember. Remember the Nintendo version took out the blood and it was just like sweat when you hit somebody. But the PlayStation, no, no, the Sega Genesis uh, still had the blood in it. So everybody wanted to play the Sega Genesis version because it had the blood version in it. So Marty, by the way, I actually worked at Nintendo retail during that period. There was a Nintendo store that sold only retail that sold only Nintendo, and it was exactly at the time that those ads were going on. And Sega was actually blasting Nintendo constantly for that particular game, <laughs> and it, and it made a difference. My friends would rather play the Sega version because it was more realistic. But I mean, the the finishing moves with ripping out the spines. I don't know. I just I just thought, was, and also I love the soundtrack. I just the Mortal Kombat soundtrack is is fun. Um, it, it, I think I have to put. Oh gosh, yeah, right. Next one's <laughs> next one is is hard because I have so many great memories with Street Fighter. But man, I've put a lot of hours into Super Smash and all versions of them on all the consoles too. I'm gonna have to put those right side by side. Uh, one for nostalgia. One because I can still pull up my Wii U today and still play with the kids and we have a ball. Well, I'm glad I hit a thing. But for me, I'm going to actually answer it a different, a little bit differently, but with a similar rank. It'll go, it'll go Street Fighter. Then I'm going to go Super Smash, and then I'm going to go Mortal Kombat. And the reason why I rank them this way is. That's the way I would want the next Dice Masters to come out. I want to see Dice Masters oh, with Street Fighter. I will cut you, Tony. What was cut that? Cut you. <laughs> cut me? Why are you cutting me, man? Oh, I can neither confirm nor deny anything that we are speaking of. Oh! Oh my God! Now I'm I'm getting a little excited right now. The hair is standing up in my arms right now. Okay, I'm, stop. I'm sorry. Cannot confirm. Or nor deny. deny. But I, but that's what I was thinking when I came up with this ranking. I'm thinking, of all the Dice Masters, what would I want to, Street Fighter? Oh, my God. That would be so incredible. You know? Okay. Moving on. Sorry. So we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Here we go. <clears throat> um, fantasy, sci-fi, or horror? Uh, fantasy, horror, sci-fi. Um, fantasy is mythology and mythology is my favorite form of storytelling period that, uh, it's, I mean, if you, if we tell stories to, if we tell stories to escape the banal, then, uh, then fantasy is what it does. Uh, horror because it's visceral and emotional and it gets you in the, it, it gets you in the gut. And really horror is just, is just a sliver, in my opinion, is just a sliver of fantasy, right? It's just fantasy from the point of view of, of from the point of view of the pure id. Uh, that so the, all, they're almost the same to me. Science fiction, like these are not far off from each other. I like all three of them. Um, science fiction is cool. I just find it a little bit. It's it's the coolest intellectually and philosophically, but not always. It doesn't as deliver as much emotionally. Fantasy, sci-fi horror and rank them that way because those seem to be the movies that I enjoy the most. I enjoy the fantasy movies the most and the sci-fi and I'm just not a horror fan, but um, that's fine. And you know what? I'm actually going to rank them the same way. I have fantasy, sci-fi and horror because I'm one of those. I don't, some people have a thrill of being scared. I'm not one of those. I don't want to be scared. And, but some people love that. Some people love going to the haunted houses every Halloween. It's, it's just not. So Marty, I got to ask you a question. Scared as in boo or scared as in uh, like scared as in like challenged in a way that sometimes keeps you up at night. Boo. Okay. 
Like, because I would consider Lovecraft to be the ultimate horror, right? Existential horror. Yeah. Now, now, see, I'm jonesing for a good, a good Lovecraft movie. Uh, tip of the day: uh, the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft Society put together the Call of Cthulhu silent movie. Really well done. Okay. Interesting. Wow. Silent means it can't be scared. Okay, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> silent movie. It done very well in the style of the because it's the 20s, right? It's right. The, it's that era. So it's done in that era as. If we were, if it was done today, we call it a found footage movie, but it feels like that a little bit. It's really cool. All right. Last one from me, Eric. I appreciate you hanging in there. Predator, Terminator, or Ragnarok? Um, well, <laughs> let's, let's be predictable here. So Ragnarok, by a million miles stratospherically in the top, the, uh, then Terminator, and then Predator way, way at the bottom. Um, now I like Predator just to, as a caveat. It's just that the other two, like, oh my god, uh, Ragnarok is. I mean, I made Blood Rage for a reason. Uh, Ragnarok is just. I love mythology. Mythology is one of my big things. I love mythologies from all over the world. I read them obsessively, um, and the uh, them and like every mythology has has an apocalyptic myth, right? Has the the end of times myth. Ragnarok is just cool right the rest of them are all like scary and a lot of them are dark and some of them are a little philosophical but Ragnarok's just cool right like it's something you would play heavy metal music to while you're uh while you're reading about it i think it's a heavy metal band ragnarok oh, it totally is it absolutely <laughs> it's a reason why almost every why viking metal is a genre right uh so ragnarok's just it's just cool. Um, and Terminator was uh, another movie I, I loved. I absolutely loved it. I actually like Terminator 1 better than 2, uh, which I guess puts me in the minority a little bit. I know they're two very different movies. But I like the, I like the idea that it was a science fiction idea movie, but it really was a, it was a personal horror movie at its, at its core. Um, and it did scare me a lot. I don't know if it would today, but I found, it, I found the idea scary, right? Just that the... You know, you're you you are chased by the inevitable, sh- you know, shadow of your blah 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 that um, that you can't escape. Uh, I just thought that was super super cool. Um, Predator, I thought was neat. I just didn't, I don't think about it much. Uh, so I'm going to go Ragnarok too, just because I like Norse mythology. I think that's really cool. I'm actually going to put Predator ahead of Terminator. I just watched Predator again the other day with my um, my sons. Uh, my, uh, my middle son loves Aliens and Predator, and I watched that first movie, and I forgot I really enjoyed that movie because it was so different as an alien movie. It, it's not like these aliens come down attack everybody. It was like this one alien came down. And was taking out these army guys. And then you don't even know why until the second movie. And it's because that's what they do. They're hunters. They just come and hunt for sport. And I just like the whole mythology of, of them hunting for sport. And then after that Terminator. I do really like Terminator. And I like Terminator 1 and, one and 2. But that's my ranking. Hmm. I'm going to have to watch uh, Predator. And, and, for, and, and for me, Marty, I, actually that's how I was going to rank them. Is how would I want the world to end? And I think... Uh, uh, Terminator, Rise of the Machines, I would prefer that over a Predator invasion with a Norse Ragnarok coming up and just devouring us all. That's that's my that's why I'm ranking them that way. At least it's over quick with Ragnarok. This is true. So the very last one, here we go. Pancakes, waffles, or crepes? Mm. Well, uh, crepes, number one. Whoa waffles and 
pancakes as a tie for number two. I mean, crepes I like because uh, I just I love crepes. So I specifically Nutella crepes um, and uh, stuff full of Nutella. I grew up on that stuff. I love it. Uh, I, I was raised uh, German, European, and of course being French, uh, being French, being Canadian, we have a lot of French stuff here. Uh, I love, I just love them. Um, pancakes and waffles, they're just yummy. I like them both. Uh, completely <laughs> full of, I mean, again, full of either Nutella or blueberries or maple syrup or all that stuff. I, I like a little bit of waffle in my sugar. Waffles, pancakes, crepes. Uh, crepe, that's actually a lunch place here in Charlotte. They do crepe sandwiches for you now. It's very unique, very eclectic, mm. and I like it. But that's how I like them. I'm going to go pancakes, waffles, crepes, because down here we don't have a, a lot of crepes places. And I do like the fluffiness of pancakes, but I will say it is really cool. The design of the waffle having the little batter pockets to hold your syrup. Oh, yeah. Like cutting into it and you got the pockets of syrup. Now, I brought that up because when Eric came down for Cool <laughs> Expo, we went to a restaurant. And so here we have Rodney and Eric together. And it's like, you need to try something from the South. And we went to this restaurant that... Wasn't the best in the world, but they had uh, chicken and waffles, Tony. Mm-hmm. Fried chicken and waffles, which is a, a big thing around here, right? Eric got chicken and waffles, and it was the funniest thing. As we get towards the end of dinner, we noticed that only half of the waffle was eaten, and it's not like it was cut in half. Eric was scraping off the top part of the waffle and leaving the bottom part. And we're all just scratching our head going, we don't understand. He literally just scraped <laughs> off the top and ate it. And it was the oddest thing. And he's over here dying laughing. It was like, what are you doing? And it's like, that's ain't my waffles. You know, until you guys brought it up and they, they um, somebody in the group took uh, pictures of it and put it on Facebook. I never thought of it. Like I just, uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I don't always eat waffles like that. It was just a big meal, and I was done. <laughs> I just started eating it, and then I was done. <laughs> well, that was just I, – so I brought that in and just tell that little anecdote. So, Eric, we have kept you long enough. It has been a pleasure having you on the show. It is – we love your games. Tony and I have played so many of your games. We're going to play many more of your games. The others is is – selling like crazy on Kickstarter. It's breaking stretch goal after stretch goal. It's going to be another hit. Blood Rage, I can't wait to get in my hands. I got the Kickstarter version. I can't wait to get it. I've heard many, many people say that is going to be in consideration for game of the year for them. So I think it's going to be a, a, a great year for you and the, the games you've released, man. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, it's, it's been a pleasure of mine to be on the show. I've been wanting to be on your show for a while. So I'm glad I'm glad we got to hang out. Yeah, and and, and one last thing, uh, we know that you said that uh, you're working on something with Cool Me or Not that's going to come out next Gen Con. Is do you have multiple projects going on? Or is that kind of the only one you got going on right now? Uh, oh God, yeah. No, I've always <laughs> I always have too much going on. I mean, so I'm still working on Duelist, of course, the the online trading card game that's always going on. Yes. Um, the uh, it's we're going to beta in October. I'm I'm super super excited about that. Um, I've got a big surprise project that uh, I've been working on uh, with a co-designer uh, that I probably shouldn't mention yet, but okay. and a publisher okay. I can't mention. <laughs> so okay. Okay. they're going to announce. We may announce it as early as BGG Con. Um, it'll be a huge thing coming out for next year. Um, and I'm actually working on something. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to work on this ridiculous big project for FFG. 
or which won't be out until like 2017, but it is, um, uh, l let's just say that when I pitched it to them, I was like, when I pitched the game to them, I was like, so this is crazy. That was those, that was my opening line. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, it's just, it, I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, and of course I've got games, I've got many collaborations coming out actually. I don't know over the next three years or so. Um, I've been working with um, a number of uh, French designers I really like. I have two games with Bruno Paiduti, who's like one of the best designers in the world, I think. Um, I have a, a collaboration with Antoine Bozo coming out um, at some point. I'm, we may announce it very soon. A game that you would that is almost exactly what you would expect the two of us to come up with uh, combined. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, and I don't think I'm allowed to talk about the other one. Or the other guy, but if I say French, you probably know. Uh, you probably have a general inkling. I mean, so I assume that next year, if I get to come back to the Cool Men You're Not Expo, we'll maybe get to sample the game that you're going to be coming out next year with at Gen Con you for them. We'll probably get to sample two games uh, next year. I know. Nice. I know. It's. Crazy. I'm excited. I am so. That was so much fun playing with those two games with you. It stunk that we have jerks in this world that stole the video cameras and we never got to see. Tell me about it. that video was so amazing. We're gonna. You know what? We'll do this again next year. In fact, I think the, the these guys work crazy fast. There may be pre-production plastic stuff for that already, so you might be able to play. You know, like with cool finalish looking stuff. And we're gonna see you at BGG Con. Oh, you will. Like Excellent. Oh, in that case, both of us will be there. In that case, you will get to play a super rough early version of the uh, of that other game, and maybe the secret game. You don't know. Don't don't, don't Tony. I can't don't wait. Tease me like that, dude. I mean, oh my heaven. <laughs> if it's not that secret game, it'll be another secret game. So it's <laughs> fantastic. All I know, Marty, is from this, I need to go ask my wife for an allowance increase just based on what we couldn't <laughs> confirm earlier, because that will pull me back like you don't know. Could not game. confirm. No, or deny they're gonna kick my ass <laughs> you you didn't say anything no you didn't say anything and it's just funny how things work out but I, eric once again thank you so much it's been a pleasure sir thank you tony thank you marty it's awesome well that was another great segment if i do say so myself marty and you should say so yourself because that was awesome talking to him. Oh, I know. And uh, for those of you that are lucky enough to be backing some of his big games, Blood Rage, uh, the others, uh, congratulations on that. I can't wait to hear about it. Cause, or I get to go play him because Marty's probably already got him ordered, don't you? Yeah. I kickstarted Blood Rage. I cannot wait to get the game. Uh, I was reading about it today, and I was like, oh, I can't wait for you to get that game either. And <laughs> It's good. It's so good. so good. But like we teased at the beginning, we do have another contest we just finished up with Cool Stuff Inc., but our main sponsor, The Broken Token, was kind enough to offer you, the listener, a insert of your choice. And all you have to do is follow the link in our posting for another one of our Google Forms. It'll be some question, leave your email, whatever, and you can be entered in the contest. And then in a future episode, probably at the end of October, you we will have the drawing. Um, we will announce uh, when the close is because we really haven't figured all that out yet. But Marty, do you know when you want to close this contest out? Wow, dude, you're talking about lack of preparedness. That's how we roll here. Is it really? Should we roll like this? No, we shouldn't. I know you have a date. I was just playing. October 6th. We'll uh, pick a winner to uh, get a insert of your choice, and we can just pass that information straight on to the Broken Token, and they can take care of it. 
wait a minute, October 6th. You mean I got work to do? I got to get the form up and get it ready for everybody so they didn't get it in so it's up before October 6th? Dude, this episode releases September 22nd, and it will be up at that time. Oh, you breaking you you putting a smackdown on me. I hear you. I like how this is, is working now. Okay. <laughs> and then two weeks from now, the contest will close. Yeah. yeah. So in two, so somebody gets to get on the secret Kapal, and he puts on his big boy britches now and just gets on his co-host and says, get this done. Is this how it's going to be? I see how those professionals work over there. Jamie whips those guys into shape over on that show. <laughs> you better go find you a bigger whip. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Hey, it is also kind of interesting, too, that uh, uh, Broken Token has actually started working with Cool Men You're Not. Since this is a Cool Men You're Not kind of themed episode, mm-hmm. Greg from cool, from uh, Broken Token has told me that he's working on a zombie side insert. And for all you people that have all those zombie side pieces and, and have, need a way to, to keep them configured and separated and everything, keep an eye out for a new insert from the Broken Token to take care of that for you. They've got in all kinds of inserts out. I mean, it's amazing. They just seem to keep rolling them out. I, I've actually got one where, I, I don't know if people have seen this, is the one where you put the cards in the various stacks and it lifts them off the table. I didn't know you had that yeah, one. I got that one. And it's a three-person, so if you're like you know playing card games and you put the card stacks in there, works great. Um, it's probably one of those things that, you know, you just got to find the game for it, put it there. And, you know, I like it because it's easy to grab the cards and, and keep them stacked neatly. It's, it's a really nice insert. But once again, we digress. The main purpose of this was the contest. Be sure there'll be a link to the um, form out on our posting. And um, there'll be some little question that Marty and I come up with that will just irritate you. <laughs> exactly. And uh, he really couldn't go into detail, but Greg says he may be working on some other games too for Cool Me or Not. So we'll see how that goes. He is working with a lot of different companies right now, coming out with a lot of great inserts. So go check them out at thebrokentoken.com. Well, Tony, I don't know if we can get a better episode than this. If we start, keep talking, we're just going to ruin it. Well, I don't know. The next two episodes are pretty special too, but we'll just leave that teaser out there at, right there. Okay. Is that cool? Yeah, they, ooh, they are kind of nice, too, looking at the, uh, ooh, ooh, yeah, some good stuff coming. There you go. Ooh, just got a chill down my back. Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> so guys, thanks for listening, as always, and you know what to do. Roll, just just roll them dice. Do you- just roll them dice. <laughs> Keep rolling dice. <laughs> and, and taking the names? And taking the names. Thanks for listening to RDTN. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names. Visit our BGG Guild. Like us on Facebook. Hadouken! Get over here! Pika, 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 pika. Man, I hate, Marty, that we're not going to be at Essen to get some of these great games that are coming out. I wish there was just some way for us to like pick them up at the BGG Con that we're getting ready to go to. Well, Tony, there is. Fun Again Games is going to provide a way for you to pre-order games that are going to be releasing at Essen. They will bring them back here to the States and then bring them to BGG Con where you can pick them up and not pay any shipping. 
so let me understand this. I can get games from Essen. Yes. Not pay European shipping. Yes. And pick them up when I'm at BGGCon. That's correct. And if you're part of their membership club, you can actually get additional discounts in when you pre-order. You can't go wrong there. 